0: Now one of the motives that uh, is part of Amos, and we've seen it as we've uh, worked our way through it, is that of God as a, a roaring lion. Now, The trouble is, our response to that is the same way that we respond when we see a roaring lion on National Geographic. Okay, so we're watching TV. And, oh, we see the lion there and it's roaring. And some of us will lean forward and go, wow, how interesting. Others of us will, seen that before, change the channel. Imagine instead that at the back of the room now, a lion appears, okay? And the lion roars, okay? Lion, at the back, You hear the lion roaring, not from the sound of your TV, but it's at the back, and it's roaring. Is that right? Okay, now I'm comical, but I assure you, if a lion appears at the back, no one will be laughing. Okay, it 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 will be, you know, Kim, Lam, Carlson, Mark. There, there, they'll be they'll be jumping up and and running for cover. All of us will be turning. There will be fear. We will be thinking, where can I go to find safety? Now, God is, speaking, he is roaring. We must not treat it as if it's just a lion roaring from a TV show. We must hear His word afresh. This is, this is the living God, our Creator. He is, He's speaking to us in His word. He is roaring His word of judgment and warning. Let's pray that He will enable us to hear Him aright. Let's pray together. Father, please give us ears to hear. Father, please soften our hearts that Your Word may get through. And Please, Father, help us to uh, continue praying and seeking after You. To hear Your warnings afresh. To hear Your Word afresh. Please open our ears, cause us to hear your word, cause us to live in its light, to seek after you, to follow your way, to glorify you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, you might uh, find the outline helpful. If you look at it, there are three failures that Amos brings against Israel in this chapter uh, the failure to serve, failure to worship and the failure to learn. So the first one, the failure to serve, verses 1 to 3. Now, Amos focuses on a particular group in Israel. It is the wealthy women of Samaria. And Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. uh, And he calls them the cows of Bashan. Now, coincidentally, my favorite animal is the cow. Okay, you ask me, you ask my children, they know <clears throat> that my favorite animal is the cow because I love beef and I love leather. Okay, so I love cows, right? But I doubt Maria would be impressed if I called her a cow. <laughs> she would not be yet, she would not be. And so the, the cows of Beshan are like the, the cows of Kobe. Okay, they were known for their good quality of meat because it was uh, it was good pasture. They were well fed. You know the Kobe beef, the cows that give us Kobe beef, they drink a bottle of beer a day. You know um, between July and September, something like that. Uh, they drink beer. Cows drinking beer, they get they get massaged with this uh, straw massaging thing. They get massaged so that the beef becomes marble. Uh, and they are prevented from doing uh, exercise so that it's tender and soft. You see, so the wealthy women of Samaria are like these pampered, self-indulgent, well-fed cows. Now, the problem that God had with them wasn't simply because they were wealthy. Now, there's nothing wrong in and of itself, okay, to be wealthy. And in fact, it was God who had given them this wealth ultimately. And as the wealthy, they had the resources, they had the responsibility to care for the poor. Now, God's word makes that very clear. But instead of helping and serving the poor, they were, look at verse one, they were, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. You see, they had the resources but there was a failure to serve. Now, another way that they failed to serve, uh, you see that at the end of verse 1, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Now, literally, in the Hebrew it says, and say to your lords, bring us some drinks. And then verse 2, the Lord Yahweh has sworn by His holiness the time will surely come, etc., etc. So, The picture is of these women who should be serving their husbands, but instead of serving their husbands, they call them lords, but ask the husbands to do their bidding. Now, it is a small picture of what Israel is. Just as Israel called Yahweh Lord, but Israel expected Yahweh to do their bidding. And so the failure is so great that God is going to act in judgment. And so he says, verse 2, The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through breaches in the wall. You will be cast out to what declares the Lord. Now, our archaeological evidence, we have some Assyrian drawings. That show how they lead prisoners away. And it was with hooks uh, in the nose or in the mouth. So it is a clear prophecy that Israel is going to be invaded and conquered by Assyria and they will be exiled. They will the walls will crumble, there'll be holes, they will be exiled out of Israel uh, into Haman. Judgment is coming. And the question is, how should we hear and apply the lion's roar of verses 1 to 3 in our day? You see, the picture is clear, right? That God condemns that sort of lifestyle. He hates that sort of lifestyle that results in oppression and injustice to the poor. God hates that sort of attitude that treats the less privileged with contempt. God hates the attitude that is only concerned with, you know, my personal comfort and uh, the assumption that I've made the money, so I have the right to self-indulge at the expense of the poor. Now, I hope none of us are necessarily as guilty as this cows of Beishan, You know, as guilty in the same degree as them. But still, we must ask ourselves, Right, is there any way, is there any part, is there any sliver where some of our actions or decisions are heading in this direction? Any part of us that's contaminated with this same problem as these Israelite women? See, maybe in a way that we treat our home helpers, if we have some, or if you are in charge of foreign workers, how we treat them, are we exploiting them? Do they get their day off? Are they working overly long hours you know, without the necessary safety? Now, MOM may not care very much about ultimately how these maids and foreign workers are treated, but God, our Heavenly Father, He cares very much. Now, another question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we helping the poor? Now, if I ask you the question, who here is wealthy? Okay, I doubt any of you will put up your hand. Okay? And the reason why you will not put up your hand is because you can think of a thousand (coughs) or more (coughs) other people who are wealthier than you. But the reality is, we are We are wealthy, right? I mean, Brian can get us the statistics that probably we are top 10% in the world, right? There are billions of people less wealthy than us. So we have also been given resources and therefore the responsibility to help the poor and the needy. How are we doing that? Now, earlier I mentioned that these Israelites were calling Yahweh Lord, but in fact expecting Him to do their bidding. Now, the reason I say this is because of the picture that comes up in verses 4 to 5, which is, our next point, their failure to worship. Their failure to worship. Now, verse 4 in the Hebrew is uh, like a chant, and it goes something like this. Go to battle and rebel rebel even more at Gilgal. See, it's it's, it's that play of words, uh, it it rhymes. And Bethel and Gilgal were the shrines that were set up in the north when north and south split so that the people who lived in the north, the Israelites, wouldn't have to come down south to Jerusalem to worship God. Uh, They set up shrines in various places. Uh, Bethel and Gilgal were some of these places. And so, the prophet Amos is like saying, Go to church, sing your hymns and sin. You know, go to Project Timothy, hear your uh, celebrity pastors and transgress. Go to Trinity Theological College and commit iniquities. You see, the people of Israel, like many of us, it's not that we have completely rejected God. They they were interested to worship God, like us. But God considered their worship a failure. And Amos gives us a few reasons why that is so. Look at verse 4, the second part. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Now, if it says years in your version, it's wrong. Uh, It actually says bring your tithes every three days. Now, what's the problem here? The problem is... The sacrifices that are talked about are meant to be brought by a family once a year. The tithes is once every three years. So the people were doing it every morning and bringing their tithes every three days. Now why so much? Why did they go above and beyond what God's word said? Now the text doesn't explicitly tell us. But could it be right, Could it be that they were hoping and thinking that their many religious acts would somehow please God and secure His bidding? Now this is the reason why I say they called Yahweh Lord but expected Him to do their bidding because they were giving all these sacrifices. God, look how much I'm serving you. You know, I, I'm so generous. I'm offering sacrifices not just once a year but every morning. And so, please, can you bless me in this way? So, can you please, uh, you know, give me this answer to prayer? See, they had the idea that God would somehow be impressed by their many outward shows of devotion. But the text makes it clear that God is not impressed. Now, related to this, they could also very well have the One behavior syndrome. Okay, you know what that is? The one behavior syndrome. It is a syndrome where we define faithfulness to God in one behavior, in terms of one behavior, in one arena. So, the Israelites, they evaluated now, am I faithful to God? Okay. How many sacrifices am I bringing? See, so they evaluated their faithfulness to God in one arena. So because they brought a lot of sacrifices, offered a lot of tithes, according to this criteria, I must be faithful. I am faithful. But what happens is that they end up ignoring the failures in other areas of life. I mean, how can you explain? Like The picture that Amos gives us is of a people of God that were sinning left, right, center in the the, the social area, community area, what they did with their wealth, but they considered themselves faithful. How could they not know they were going against God? Because they thought, aha, I'm so religious, I'm offering all these things, I must be faithful. And so in the same way, friends, we can easily end up defining faithfulness to God in terms of how active we are in church, how well we lead the Bible study, how much money we put in the offering bag. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And the problem is we can end up ignoring the obvious failures in other areas of our lives. How we are at work, how we are as a parent or as a spouse, Uh, You know, our business ethics, our thought life, you know, what we do with our money. Now, more quickly, the other failures in worship that Amos highlights is that they didn't pay attention to God's word in how to worship God. They didn't pay attention to what God said about how he should be worshipped. Look at verse 5, the first part. It says, burnt leaven bread as a thank offering. Now, nowhere in Scripture are they commanded to burn leaven bread. See, they just did what they felt was right to them. They didn't pay close attention to what God said, how He wants to be worshipped. They just did what they thought, what they felt was right. The next thing Amos says, verse 5b, uh, they brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites. So, very clearly, uh, free will offerings are meant to show their thankfulness to God, but they were offering this and boasting and bragging about them. Their motivation for offering was not to thank God so much as to brag about how generous they were. Their worship had little to do with exalting God. They were more concerned with exalting themselves. How often we can be more concerned about how we look in front of others than whether we are truly worshipping God or not. Now, Amos offers one more clue about their failure to worship and I think this lies at the heart of their problem. At the end of verse 5, it says, for this is what you love to do, declares the Lord. So they bring sacrifices, they burn, leave and break, they brag, they boast, and then God says, this is what you love to do. Now the prophet Amos reveals that for these people, this is their true love. This is their true love. They love to burn and bring and brag and boast. This is their true love. Now the word for love here is the very same word that is used in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Okay, you don't have to turn to it because once I read it, you know what I'm talking about. It is the same word that is used there where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Same word that is used, same covenant word. So instead of loving God, their heart, soul, strength, they love their religious acts and rituals. They love boasting and bragging about what they do, how much they do. They loved focusing on their faithfulness in one area. And so be able to ignore their failures in other areas. See, isn't this a great warning to us? God roaring this word of warning and judgment. And He is saying, the outward show doesn't fool me. Because He is a God who looks at the heart. He he cannot be fooled by our outward acts. We can easily fool others. We can fool Pastor Andrew. We can fool our uh, Bible study leaders. I can fool you. We can fool ourselves. See, it's easy to make a good impression. Once you've been along the Christian circuit long enough, you know the right thing to say at the right time, you know, to do the right thing at the right time. Yet, the warning here is, is it real? Or is it fake? See, it could easily be one great big act. And God is not fool. He sees through it all. Now imagine that God, by a spirit, sends a light. And this light would come and land on anyone here whose heart is genuinely seeking after God, whose heart is genuinely panting after God, genuinely puts Him first, loves Him, seriously inclined to God. Uh, and not just playing at the religious game. And I think it would shock us how many it would land on. Because while it looks like all of us are here, we've made the effort to come in this pouring rain, we've we've sung, we've listened to God's word, we're being active, but God knows that our hearts may actually be in some other place. Now please don't hear me wrong, I'm not suggesting at all that God is looking for the perfect person. Now what he looks for is the one who is humble, the one who's taking his, his sin seriously, his failure seriously, bring it in confession, asking God for help. The one who trembles at his word. Now it is a great indictment on us if we should read the words of Amos. Right? we started this series weeks ago. We're meant to read it and close it a frightened person. If we don't, there's nothing wrong with the word. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong. Maybe we're understanding. Okay, that's fine. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we we explain uh, Amos at the pulpit. But if we begin to understand and we can read it and close it and not be frightened, something wrong. We're not trembling at his word as we should. We're treating the lion as our national geographic. It's not as if he's there in our face, warning us by his roar. And so God's verdict on Israel is that Israel did not have that heart. And so God is going to act in judgment. And it's not as if God did not warn them and try to win them back uh, because the next few verses tells us the way He did. So our third point, verses 6 to 13, Israel's failure to learn. Their failure to learn. I'll read selectively uh, these verses. Look at verse 6. God says, I... I gave you empty stomachs in every city, and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. And then verse 8, People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Go to verse 10. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. And then at the end, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. These are not random natural disasters. As uh, Nicholas helpfully chose for us the responsive reading, these are the curses that God promised would come on His people if they disobeyed His covenant. Now, repeatedly He says, "I sent, I sent, I sent," and repeatedly the verdict is, "Yet Israel did not turn back." Now, our first instinct when we read this may be to think, "Wow, oh God so jealous, you know, sent all these things on His people." But if you think about it, according to these verses, five times, right? Five times God actually sends a wake-up call. And so it is not God being jealous. It's actually a gift of God's graciousness. That he should be patiently, time after time, warning and calling his people back to him. Giving that wake-up call. I mean, he could easily just, they transgress, okay, down comes the axe. But he's being patient. Again and again, time after time, trying to call them back. But Israel would not learn. So they face a drought, maybe they pray, ask God for rain, and then it rains and then they go back to their old ways. They do not turn back. Now how do we apply these verses to our time today? Three points to guide our thinking. Okay, the first point is, in Amos chapter 4, this is explicit. Okay, God in His Word explicitly says, see, the drought of, uh, you know, 94, the famine of 96, the earthquake of uh, 98, you know, that's from me, I sent, and it's for the purpose of you turning back. See, it's explicit. God's word made it explicit that it was for that reason that those things came. But when things happen in our world today, it is not the same. We do not have the same divine interpretation saying ah, the tsunami or the 9-11, it was precisely for this. Okay, so we cannot you know, just say it is this reason. Now, I grant you that it is part of the reason. Very likely, Part of the reason is to get people to repent. But I say to you, we must have the humility to know we do not have the full reason for why God acts in this way and that way, why He sent this and He sent that. We do not have the full reason because God has not told us. He told the people of Amos' time the reason. That's fine. But He has not told us why this and that happens in our time. So we must be humble and not claim to know the full reason because we do not. So that's the first point. The second point, I think it helps to see what Jesus says about this. So if you will please turn to Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. It reads, Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, this is describing uh, a, a truly atrocious act. And so Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So very clear right Jesus makes it very clear we are not to think that that those people you know or that country uh, is more guilty, more sinful, and more deserving of judgment. Rather, Jesus makes it clear, it is a reminder to all of us what happens in Malaysia, what's happening in Iraq. It is a reminder to all of us that we need to repent else we will perish. So that's the second point to guide our thinking. The third point is that God in Amos 4 is speaking to Israel. And the entity that is uh, most like Israel today, is not the nation Israel, but it is the church. Just as Israel were the covenant people of God, today the covenant people of God is the church. So we, we mustn't uh, simply think and apply what Amos says here, just nationally, right to countries. We must think, what are the wake-up calls that God has sent on His church? Now, again, because we don't have God's uh, divine interpretation on this, we can only uh, postulate and suggest. So, could it be, could it be that the weak denominations that we see all around us, the weak denominations who cave into the world's pressures and accept homosexuality, who ordain women, and who even ordain gay bishops, what about the failure of god's word the The famine that is there in so many pulpits that so many congregations all around the world are not being fed they're malnourished. What about the the lecturers who teach Bible and theology who are not even Christian that lecturers who you know supposedly teach the Bible can actually say they don't really believe in a physical resurrection. You know, they doubt about uh, penal substitution, this and that. You know, what about the, the very public scandals of uh, churches like City Harvest? Uh, what about the mega-church pastors who act like K-pop celebrities? Now, could these be wake-up calls for the church you know, to repent, to to turn back to Him more fully. Because you see, you take any of the examples I listed, see, while we individually or corporately as a local church, while we may not be you know, blatantly committing those things just like them, nevertheless, I think we must admit that the, those same sins are here in us in embryonic form. While we mean it's not full-blown like them, thank God. But nevertheless, is it here in us, in some small way, in embryonic form? So the the materialism, the greed that obviously is behind the city harvest scandal, the the tendency to give in to worldly pressures, you know, rather than stand firmly on what God's word clearly says the hypocrisy between our public and private lives, you know, the saying, yes, I may affirm the resurrection, but fail in so many ways to live in light of it, as if I really believe it. You see, anyone here, (laughs) you dare to say, okay, all of that, you know, 0%, you know, it's not in me, I'm completely blameless when it comes to all those things. See, we cannot, right? And so we must not just point the finger at them and think, "Uh, they must be worse sinners than me. We must heed the warning. We must heed the warning and repent and turn back to God. And so for Israel, God's continual wake-up calls did not have the effect. And so, verse 12 says, Therefore, I sent you all these things, again and again I warned you, yet you have not returned, yet you have not returned, therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Now, what is the the this that God will do to them? The best explanation I've come across is the this is what I will do is all the things in verses 6 to 11 that God has done. So the disasters of 6 to 11 were the curses promised because of covenant disobedience. But when God sends those things as warning signs he sends it in a limited way. He, he restrains his hand when he sends it on them because it's meant to be a wake up call it's meant to warn them but they have not turned back. And so God says, you haven't repented, you haven't come back to me, therefore I will do this, I will I will send them. It's as if he's saying, you haven't seen anything yet. And so the meeting of God, prepare to meet your God, is to prepare to meet your God as he comes in judgment on his people. So what about us? What about us? We may think that's Israel, right? They were under the old covenant. We, we are new covenant people. Jesus has come, hallelujah. Right, we are new covenant people. Forgiveness is guaranteed. Forgiveness is secured by Jesus. We will be okay. Friends, beware the temptation to mute the lion's roar. Beware the temptation to change the channel. Beware the temptation to think that's just a TV show. Beware the temptation to stop your ears and not hear his warning. Because the lion is roaring, and this is his word to us. Because the, the same Jesus that we say, Ah, oh, Jesus has come, we'll be all right. Well, look at what this Jesus says in Matthew 7. Uh, Please turn there so that you can see it for yourself. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You see, this is the same warning that we've come across when we looked at Hebrews chapter 6. It's not about whether you start as a Christian. It's whether you end up still holding on to Christ, still depending on Him, still showing the fruit of His uh, Spirit in your life. So these people may have started out looking and calling on Jesus, Lord, Lord. But when it comes to it, they did not hear the warning of God's Word and so went their own way and did not do the will of the Father. And Jesus' verdict is, away from me, I never knew you. You see, another way of explaining this is there is no sin. And there is no number of times where you commit this sin where, uh, you know, God's grace then expires because God's grace is unlimited. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, there is no, there is nothing we can do. And there's not so many number of times that we do it where God says, okay, okay, oh. It's too much. You know, beyond this, I cannot forgive you. No. Grace is that amazing. It is that amazing that it can cover it all. It can, it can grant us that forgiveness and give us eternal life. But the problem is, while grace may be unlimited, when a person does not heed the warning of God's word and gets into a lifestyle of sinning blatantly, what could happen is the person's heart becomes so hardened that he may come to that point where he doesn't want to ask God for grace and forgiveness. See, so it's not that grace is limited or faulty or incompetent in some way, but because of the person's persistent and blatant and high-handed sin of ignoring, of muting the lion's roar. The danger is of coming to the point where I want nothing to do with this God. I have met Christians like that. I just had lunch with one uh, two weeks ago. See, friends, when you have an important event coming, say uh, a wedding or an important business meeting, you will put a lot of preparation into it. The event that Amos is putting before us is that this day of judgment where we meet our Maker, our God, is coming. Prepare to meet your God. And for us who come after the time of Jesus, the only way we can be prepared to meet our God is to trust in what Jesus has done. You see, in Amos' time, God sent you know, drought and famine to tell the people he's serious about judgment. In our time, he has sent his son. And his sinless, perfect son bore our sin and faced God's wrath. What more important wake-up call can we get? that this God is serious about sin, He's serious about judgment. He judged His own Son so that we can return to Him. So the only way we can prepare to meet this God is by trusting and holding on to Jesus that this, this faith is a real one, that it permeates every area of our lives, that in humility and trembling at His word, we will hear His warning Hold on in faith, come in humility and dependence on Christ and Christ alone. May God help us to do this. Amen.